series of new seasons. We've had a great, great series so far. Uh, I don't know how well you've been impacted or how much you've been impacted, but I know I certainly have been uh, touched by every message that's that's taken place in this series so far. You know, we pride ourselves here uh, on not just delivering God's Word, but really just doing it in such a a way that it's it's applicable to your life. You know, practical things that you can actually take away, because God's Word is a living Word. It's not just a book for us to read. It's not just a bunch of things for us to repeat pro rata and just to pray and just empty things like that. It's a living, living, breathing word. And by that, uh, I mean it's there to affect us, to change us, to adapt us, to improve us, to do all of these things because God's word, that's, that's what God's word is all about. So, you know, each of the messages that we've had so far has really done that. It's really impacted on me. Uh, we've, uh, just to recap very, very briefly, we've looked at, you know, being in a place of worry and transitioning and moving from that place of worry into instead a place of relationship and peace with God. God. So, you know, worry can, can, can press us down. It can really, you know, limit us and hinder us and stop us from doing what it is that we need to be doing in our lives. We've also looked at moving from a place of unforgiveness to a place of forgiveness. So if we've got the unforgiveness, a huge bondage, it's something, you know, that we can we inflict upon ourselves sometimes. If we're not forgiving somebody for something that it is that they've done to us, you know, it's not them that's suffering. It's us that's suffering. We are under that bondage of unforgiveness. And again, Again, that can limit us, that can hinder us, and it can really stop us from doing what we need to do. So we looked at transitioning on practical ways to transition from unforgiveness to forgiveness and the benefits and the blessings that that will bring with it. We looked as well on Wednesday. Trey, who was here on Wednesday? Trey did an awesome job preaching a message on going from hopeless to hopeful, very impactful message that he delivered. And he was telling us how, you know, the enemy will lie to us continually and take away our hope. He will tell us that there is no hope. The devil will tell us there is no hope. But how many knows, as as pastor says all the time, you know, how do you know when the devil is lying? His lips are moving. Every word he speaks is a lie, okay? So we learned that that's a lie, that hopelessness is a lie, and that God's promises, promise after promise after promise in his word, is to bring us hope. And right at the very start of the series, pastor actually spoke about and told us and explained to us what a transition actually is, what transition is, what change actually is, and what it is to move from one place in our lives to another place in our lives. And the fact of the matter is this. And he touched on this, that sometimes change takes work. Change takes time. And we don't necessarily want to hear that, do we? We don't want to hear about that because we're living very much in a culture where, you know, everything's a now culture. Everything is immediate, you know, and I was touched on this earlier on. And, you know, I I was reminded uh, two weeks ago I spent about 25 minutes on the telephone to Etel. And I was on the phone to Etel because our internet speed is not as fast as it should be, okay? So we're paying for X amount of speed on our internet, and we're getting a lot less than that, okay? 
first world problems, hey? All right, so, uh, but I'm on the phone to Etel, and I'm listening to, you know, the, all the advertisements and everything, waiting for the person to, to help us with this. And then, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, here am I. I'm a little bit frustrated. I'll be transparent. And, you know, I mean, because I like the thought of clicking on my mouse and it going where, I'm, where it's supposed to do. When it's not doing that, I was getting a little frustrated. And I was re- reminded of when computers first came about. And I don't know how old all of you are and if, if there's people here who are old enough uh, to remember dial-up. Like, like, I can remember dial-up, okay? And I remember having my very first computer, and just for the young'uns, what dial-up was, was this. When you wanted to go on a computer, you had to unplug your telephone, you plugged your computer in and actually used the telephone line. And if you wanted to do something on your computer, you built and scheduled your whole day around what it was that you were doing. So you would get up in the morning, you'd plug your computer in, you'd start something downloading, then you'd go out, you'd clean your car, you'd get in your car, you'd go to the store, you'd come back from the store, you'd clean your house, and by the time you finished, your program's downloaded. That's kind of how it went. So uh, that's how it used to be back then. And I'll tell you this for nothing. When we got our first computer when I was a kid, I was so excited. And I had no issue at all waiting uh, literally 90 minutes to download the, 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 the software to play games on this computer. Now if it takes 90 seconds, then there's, a, there's, there's, there's trouble. Okay, There's trouble afoot, and I'm on the phone to Etel. So that's just a measure of where we're at right now. You know, we, we expect, we have an entitlement, okay? The, the, the fact that everything comes to us easier now, the fact that everything comes to us quicker now, doesn't make us more grateful. It makes us more entitled. It makes us feel, you know, we get used to that. And when it doesn't happen that way, we get a little bit bent out of shape. Or is that just me? Is it just me who does that? But we do. We get a little bit bent out of shape about it. So we're in a very much in a now culture. We expect everything to be instant. And sometimes... When we speak about change and change in our lives, we want the things that change will bring us. We want the results that change would bring us. But we don't actually necessarily want to do the changing. We don't want to do the work that's necessary to go through the transition and through the change. And the thing about change is this, though. Different things require different amounts of work. To change from one thing to another may take a lot of work. To change from another thing to another thing may take less work. It may take less time, and it may take less cost. Every change that we go through has one thing in common. They all have the very same thing in common. And that thing in common is choice. And here's the deal when it comes to change. Before we can change, we have to choose to change. Before we can change, we have to choose to change. Now, choice is something I want to touch on in this message today. As well, and I'm going to talk about uh, a choice that we have available to us. Okay, it's a choice that you have available, and it's potentially a life-changing choice. And I don't say that lightly. It's potentially a life-changing choice, and I am truly excited about this message this morning. Truly excited about it. And I say that most times that I come up here, I'm always honoured and privileged to actually take hold of this microphone, and always give it all praise and glory to the Lord for the opportunity that I have to be here. And I'm always excited about sharing a message. But this message, I've never felt about another message the way that I feel about this. I believe firmly that this is not going to be a message for everybody here. But I do genuinely believe that it's for a message for somebody here. And I believe that that somebody is going to be changed forever. That's my belief, and that's what I'm praying for today. So I want to talk to you about a transition uh, to continue this series of new seasons, a transition that may sound strange at first, but that will become clear as we go along. And that transition is from death to life. We're going to be looking in today at transitioning from death to life. And I, go, I pray that this message is going to change somebody's life, but it's not going to just change somebody's life, it's going to bring 
life. I want this to be a life-bringing message, not just a life-changing message, okay? So I'm praying that somebody leaves here today not just feeling more free than they feel right now, but that they leave here feeling more alive than they feel right now, amen? Okay, so as huge as that transition sounds, transitioning from death to life, as big of a deal as that actually sounds, it takes no work. It really takes no time at all. All it effectively takes is a choice. It just takes a choice. So I want to start off by looking at the theme scripture for the series, which is 2 Corinthians 6, 11, 13. I think we've got some uh, slight issues with the software right now. So I'll go ahead and read this while we get that sorted out. But uh, it's 2 Corinthians 6, uh, it's verses 11 through 13, and it's in the message version, okay? And it's on your pamphlets that you've, that you've picked up maybe as you came into church today. It says this, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Now, I hadn't seen this version of that scripture, the message version, until Pastor actually talked about it in a meeting and actually read it for the first time. I can't tell you how much that impacted me. Such a powerful, powerful scripture when he's talking about the fact that our lives aren't small, but we are living them in a small way. So I want to look at this scripture for a moment and really understand what it is that Paul is telling us here, and that this is then going to set the tone for this message, okay? So firstly, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Now this tells me that in any smallness that I feel in my life is not external, It's not from the outside coming in. It's internal. It tells me that it's it's within me. It's inside me. So that smallness that I feel is inside me. And if if it's inside me, then it's under my control. Amen? Anything that's inside me, if it's a feeling, if it's a belief, if it's a perception, it's inside of me. And if it's inside of me, it means that I can change it. Agreed? So your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way is the next point I want to look at. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. So we are living our lives in a way that goes against the way that our lives actually are. Not going against what our lives should be or what our lives we could make them into. We are going against what our lives actually are. Paul says your lives aren't small, okay, which means they are by definition big. Amen? So we're living our lives in a way that goes against the way that they actually are. We're living our lives smaller than the way God actually created our lives to be lived. We are choosing to live our lives in a small way. Let me tell you this. Satan wants us to live that way. God doesn't. Satan wants us to live our lives small. God wants us to live our lives large. The next part of this scripture, I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open your lives Live openly and expansively. Now Paul is basically saying here, I love you. But for crying out loud, think bigger. Live bigger. Be bigger. And he's telling us that again, that living more openly and expansively than we do right now is an option for us. It's a choice for us. If we couldn't do it, he wouldn't suggest that we do it. If it, it being an option for us means that we have the choice to do it. So we're living small, we have the choice of living big. Now how exciting is that? It's a very real choice and option that we have. 
So this morning I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about how the gospel can, can and should be the fuel for our lives. How it should be, what it is that drives us, what guides us, what fuels us to live the expansive life that Paul talks about in this key scripture. And the gospel should fuel our lives. It should fuel our choices. It should fuel our worship. It should fuel our love for other people. It should fuel us, period. And what I'm going to talk about now, it doesn't apply just to a select few people. It doesn't just apply to those people that you look at as being spiritually mature or gifted, or more spiritually mature or gifted than you are. It doesn't just apply to a certain percentage of those people that accept Christ into their lives. It applies to everyone. It's true of everyone. It's true for me. It's true for you. And that's the most important thing today. It's not about what's true for me. It's what it's about what's true for you. It applies to you. And you know, the gospel, I get fired up about it. I get excited about it. I get excited about it because I really believe that we should get excited about the gospel and the message of the gospel each and every day because the gospel applies to us each and every day. As I said, this is the living word. This applies to us on a day-to-day basis. And I've said this many, many times to people, and I will continue to say it. I pray, and it's a genuine prayer, that I never forget what it was like to be saved. I pray I never forget that moment of becoming saved. And I never, want to, I never ever want to forget how it felt that moment. I don't want to forget what it felt like before I was saved, and I don't want to forget what it feels like after I was saved. I don't want to forget where it was that I came from, who it was that I was, and then who it is that I've become. I don't ever want to be you know, what you might call oversaved. There are some people that forget, have forgotten already what it was like to be saved. They might be able to tell you the date it was. Oh, I got saved 25 years ago. But they can't tell you necessarily how it felt or they can't remember what it meant to them in their life. They've now become, if you like, oversaved. Okay, they're over it. It's done. It was just something that they speak about now as a day in their history. It's a day of before. So I don't want to be pre-saved and I don't want to be over-saved. Pre-saved is before being saved. I don't want to be back there. I don't want to be pre-saved, okay? And I don't want to be over-saved because over-saved quite often, you can be living your life in exactly the same way as being pre-saved. You've forgotten so much and you've forgotten completely what, what it is that happened to you when you were saved. You've forgotten it so much that you've forgotten that that impacts upon your life. So you are living your life exactly the way you lived your life before you were saved. Okay? Does that make sense? So if you're pre-saved, you're not saved yet. If you're over-saved, you might be living like that. Okay? You may be living that way. And I don't want to be that way. Now, the moment of being saved is obviously vital. It's crucial. And it's at that point, the moment that we are saved, that's the point where we are born again. And there's a moment by faith that we are born again and become a new creation. But as every day goes by, that moment gets further and further behind us. And it's easier and easier to forget it if we're not careful. Now, I want to remember that moment in my life well enough that I live like I know what it means. I want to remember it well enough that I live like I know what it means. That way, I know 100% I'm living ready. So if the rapture comes right now, I'm good. If something happens to me and I keel over and I pass away right here and right now, I know I'm going to heaven. Okay, because I live the gospel and believe the gospel, get excited about the gospel, and I'm putting my faith in God's grace. I'm putting my trust in him, and I'm putting my belief in his grace as being the only reason that I'm in relationship with God while I'm alive, 
And it's the only reason that I'm going to heaven while I die. And that I need to remember. Amen? So I want to remember that day as being the start of something. But I want to make sure that, as I said, I remember it well enough that it affects what it is that I'm doing right now. I want to know that until I die, I am living in that something. I'm living in it. And I'm living out that something in my actions. He's in me. I'm in him today. There is no greater news in my life right now than that. I'm not oversaved. So I want to talk to you briefly about the gospel. Now when I say the gospel, you may or may not know what it is that I'm talking about. So at the risk of telling you what you already know, I'm going to start off by telling you about the gospel and explaining what the gospel is. But more importantly and firstly, I want to tell you what the gospel is not. I want to tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not that sin makes us bad people. That's what many people believe the gospel is. It's what a lot of Americans believe. A lot of Western culture believes, generally speaking, that the gospel is all about if you are... Uh, sin makes you a bad person. If you sin, you're a bad person. And that's really what the gospel is spoken about in the way that the gospel often is spoken about. Some people, some people from pulpits will even you know, preach that message. You know, if you, if you sin, then you're a bad person. Okay? That's, and that's not the truth. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel does not say that sin makes you bad. It's far worse than that. The gospel says that sin makes us dead. Sin makes us dead. Sin doesn't make us bad people. It makes us dead people. So let's look at some of the scripture that touches on that, if we can. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is not that you are bad. The wages of sin is death. It's that you're dead. That's what the wages of sin are. Colossians 2.13, look at some more here. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Dead because of our sins. Now being dead is a problem. Being dead is a huge problem. And being dead is in our sin is a huge problem for every religion in the world. Why? Because there is nothing that we can do when we are dead to come back to life. There is nothing that we can do when we are dead to come back to life. There is not one thing that you can do to help yourself. And that is where we were without Christ in our sins. We weren't bad people. We were dead people. Now, we may have been doing some bad things before we were saved. I know I definitely was doing that. I did my share of bad things and I did your share of bad things before I was saved. So we were worse. But, so I was, I was bad. I was doing bad stuff. But I wasn't a bad person before I was saved. I was a dead person before I was saved. And that's the exciting thing about the gospel. And this is why we need to be excited about the gospel each and every day. Jesus did not step down from his throne in heaven and come to earth into humanity to improve us from bad people to better people. Or to improve us from bad people to good people. He didn't come here to make us good. Jesus came down from heaven to earth to make us alive. To make us alive. To raise us up from sin and hell and darkness and the grave and to lift us up to everlasting life. That is the miracle of the gospel. He came down not to make us good. He came down to make us alive. So let's look again at these scriptures and look at what follows where it was uh, when we were in our sin. Romans 6.23, the full scripture reads this way. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But 
The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What about this next one, Colossians 2 again? You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. How awesome is that? We were dead and God made us alive. Anybody else excited about this yet? So let's look even deeper into this. This is an amazing piece of scripture, and I want you to really get a hold of this. It's Ephesians 2, verses 1 3. As for you, that's you. That's the, the me you. Okay, so as you read it as for you, read it as as for me. So as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the enemy. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So the enemy is still alive and he is still working through those people who are disobedient. All of us. That's all of us. Every one of us in this place. Every one of us here lived among them at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Another translation says our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So that's all bad news, right? And it's all dark and it's depressing. But it has to be bad news. It has to be really bad news. If Jesus is going to come down to be born as a baby boy, he can't just do it just to be a minor improvement, a minor work of improvement in our lives. It can't just be bad news. It has to be a crisis, something that we cannot do ourselves. And that crisis is this. We were dead in our sin. And we were deserving of God's wrath. We were deserving of God's judgment. We were deserving of God's punishment. But I am so grateful. God did not leave us there. He did not leave us there. This next line of scripture, in my opinion, is one of the most beautiful lines in the Bible. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So not only did God bring us to life, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. He came down, he raised us to life, and then beyond that, up to the heavenly places. Amazing. Such mercy. Now let me give you an analogy. Something for you people, like my wife, visual learners. Let me give you an example here of what we're talking about. How many people here know how an elevator works? Wow. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Okay, so those of you who don't, I'm going to explain to you now how an elevator works. Okay, you can write this down under the heading, things that you never thought you'd learn at church. Okay, so how does an elevator work? There is a point to this, I promise you. How does an elevator work? Well, it's like this. You get into your car, not your car, but the, the elevator car, okay, and you get in there, and then you press a button, and then it goes, it goes up, right, or comes down. And the way it works is this. You get into the elevator, and right above the elevator, there's a cable attached to the top, and that cable goes right the way, very up to the top of the building. It goes over a pulley. It comes down the other side, and then at the bottom of that, there is a counterweight, 
And this counterweight is not glamorous, it's not pretty, it's just a chunk of metal. This thing is made up normally of sheets of steel which are just basically bonded together. And the idea is that this counterweight is heavier than the weight of the, uh, the elevator itself and however many people are in there. Each time you get in an elevator and you look over the door it says maximum weight, yes? Or maximum number of people, maximum weight. So the counterweight will always weigh more than that elevator and all of the people that can get in it. So when you step into the elevator and you go and you want to go to the 22nd floor, you press the button number 22, and then what happens is the computer tells the uh, pulley to let go and to release the counterweight. So the counterweight then drops. Okay? So the counterweight is coming down, whoosh. And as that comes down, whoosh, you go up, whoosh. Okay? So the weight of the actual uh, counterweight pulls down and lifts up the actual elevator that you're in. So what's my point? My point is this. The gospel is like an elevator gospel. Okay? Jesus Christ, the weight of Jesus Christ, when we were in the basement, we were in the mire, we were in the pit of hell, that's where we were. God pressed the button and he released the counterweight and Jesus came down. And as Jesus came down, we went up. Jesus came down and we went up. Now get this, in the Old Testament it talks about Moses and wanting to see God's glory. He wanted to see the glory of God, but God protected all of his people from that because of the magnificence of the glory of God. And that word glory in Hebrew is actually kabad. It's uh, abbreviated as KBD. The word is kabad. And the origination of that word kabad in Hebrew actually comes from the word which means weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. And it also means heaviness. So glory, weight, heaviness, it's all the same word. So what actually happened is this. The glory, the weight, the heaviness of God came down from heaven and raised us up from the mire. Okay? So that's the way. It's an elevator gospel. He came down and we came up. Okay. So let's continue to look at from where we were. Let's look at verse 8. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's just rest for a while in these verses. And this is the key, really, to the whole message. I mentioned earlier to you about how people generally, we don't like change. We might like the results from change, but as we said, you know, we, we might like the results that change might bring, but we don't like the change itself. We don't like the work involved. And to transition from one place to another, it normally takes some work, it takes some time, and it takes some cost. But I want you to see this. The transition from death to life takes no work on your part. It takes no time on your part and there is no cost to be paid. The work's already been done. The price has already been paid. It's the gift of God, not by works. You cannot work yourself alive. You never could work yourself alive. You can't work yourself to be holy. You never could work yourself to be holy. You can't work yourself to be perfect. You never could work yourself to be perfect. You are alive with Christ by God's grace, not by anything 
that you do. Now, you might be sat there right now and thinking, well, that all sounds fine and dandy, but I really don't feel very alive right now, Pete. Why is that? Well, I don't know the ins and outs of your life, but the chances are that you're feeling more dead than alive right now because you have let day-to-day living get in the way of your life. You have let day-to-day living get in the way of your life. Your life. The challenges that you face. The stuff that you have going on. The stress that you have. The secret sin that you have taken place in your life. The anger or frustration or the upset or unforgiveness or the pain or the grief that you are feeling every day is getting in the way of your life. And also over and above that, in some shape or form, the enemy is succeeding in his primary mission in your life. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. The devil is here to kill you. And he's not here to kill you physically, but spiritually. He wants to kill your self-worth, your belief in yourself, your faith in God. He wants to kill your belief that God loves you for who you are. He wants to kill your desire. He wants to kill your fire. He wants to fill your day today with so much stuff and fluff and funk and junk that you are surrounded by it, you're distracted by it, you're oppressed by it, and you are fenced in by it. But here's the good news. Jesus tells us this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus came and brought us life, life more abundantly, the expansive life that Paul speaks of. Jesus brought it, we can have it. We just need to embrace it and believe it for ourselves. I have to believe it for me, you have to believe it for you. And we have to stop believing that we are not worthy of living the abundant life that God wants us to live. Now, there is a difference between those people that are living an expansive life and those that are not. There is a difference. It has nothing to do with them. It doesn't have anything to do with their past, their testimonies, the work that they've done, the fact that God loves them more or that they are more able or more capable. The reason that some people live a life which is full and they live that life which God has for them is quite simply this. The difference is this. They believe that they are alive through Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Somebody who's living that life believes that life and believes that they are alive through Christ. They believe that Jesus came to bring life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, we are all the same in God's eyes. We are all as undeserving as the next person of God's grace and mercy, but we have all been given it the same. I'm as undeserving as you are, but I've been given the grace and mercy that you've received as well. We are all identical in God's eyes. And you know, many people have said to me that they do not have a good testimony. Well, Pete, I don't have a good testimony. And they've told me, they've said, Pete, your testimony is amazing. You have a powerful testimony. It's an impressive testimony. It's an exciting testimony. And the truth is this, I really do have a testimony which is impressive, exciting, and powerful. The fact that I was saved at the age of 40 by my now wife Molly, 5,000 miles away via webcam, saved from addiction, depression, alcohol. That all makes for a powerful story. But that is not what makes my testimony amazing or powerful 
or impressive or exciting. My testimony is amazing. It's powerful, it's impressive, and it's exciting. But it's still those things when I take away all of the stuff attached to it. When I strip it down to the basics, when I sum it all up in a nutshell, and when I do that, my testimony is exactly the same as your testimony. Our testimony is amazing. It's powerful. It's impressive and it's exciting. Our testimony is this. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was dead. And now I'm alive. Not because of who I am or what I've done or who I was or what I am doing now. But solely because God's grace is so amazing that he sent his son to earth to raise me up from the dead. And you up from the dead. So I'm here to tell you this. There is no such thing as a bad testimony. So as I wrap up this message, I want to speak to two different groups of people. You may be in neither of these groups, but I want to speak to two of these two groups here, both of which can make a life-bringing choice. I want to talk to those people here that are still dead. And I want to talk to those people here that feel dead. If you're sat here today and you have never accepted Christ into your life, and you don't have a relationship with him, I've got some news for you today. You're dead. You're still dead. The better news is that you don't have to stay that way. You can choose to accept life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised, you, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And we'll be giving you an opportunity to do that very thing just a few moments from now, to start a new life with Jesus. And being saved brings you that opportunity to live the life that it is that I've been speaking about this morning. John, 1 John 4.15 says this, All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. The second group that I want to talk to you about, or talk to today, is this. The group that have heard this message this morning but you feel that you're not living that expensive life that we've talked about, that expansive life. You feel more dead than alive right now, that you feel you are actually living a small life. Paul says in the scripture on the wall, your lives are not small, but you're living them in a small way. And what does that mean? It means you're not living the life that God wants you to, and that you are not fulfilling the purpose that God created you for, that he sacrificed his son to bring you alive for. Let's look at again at Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. It says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. And you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He didn't create you to fulfill a purpose. He created a purpose and then created you to fulfill it. You are God's handiwork and you have work to do. Work that God prepared in advance for you. Not me, not the person sat next to you. You. So Pete, how do I live this more expansive life that you're talking about? You have to make a choice. You have to choose to believe and accept. You have to choose 
to believe that Jesus rose again and lifted you from death to life. And you have to accept that it is who it is that you actually are in God's eyes. Then you have to simply choose to live the life that God has created you for. And it really is just a choice. Here are three things that you need to choose to do if you want to feel alive. Number one, accept the gift. Accept the gift. Jason, step here a second, can you? It's $10. Take a seat. Thank you. So, I just gave Jason 10 bucks. He's not standing here at the altar now telling me that he's not worthy of that $10. He's not standing at the altar now questioning what it is and why it is that I am giving him a gift. He's not telling me that I should be giving that gift. I can, he can understand how I could maybe give $10 to Pam or to Roxanne or to Megan, but I shouldn't be giving him $10. He's not arguing about that $10. He took the $10, he sat down, he's thanking very much, and I bet you now he's not listening to a word I'm saying, he's thinking about what he's going to spend the 10 bucks on. <laughs> That's how we should be with the gift that God gave to us. We should accept it. We should take it for what it is. It's a gift from God. It's a gift for Jason, it's a gift for me, and it's a gift for you. So we have to accept the gift. Secondly, we need to acknowledge that we're alive. Acknowledge you're alive. Speak it, declare it, pray it, breathe it into your own day-to-day. The fact that you are alive. I thank God every day that I'm alive. And that's not just a throwaway statement from the stage. I thank God every day that I'm alive. And not just physically, but spiritually. Why? Because I still remember. I still remember who it is that I was and what it is that Christ did for me. We have to acknowledge that we are alive. And lastly, we need to activate ourselves. Activate yourself. Put simply, it's this. Do something. Do something. Do the good works that God has prepared for you in advance for you. Like I said, God created a need and then created you to fulfill it. There's stuff that if you don't do, is not going to get done. You need to activate yourself. So the last piece of scripture that I'm going to look at today and the choices that it brings you. 1 Peter 2 verses 9 through 10. But you, that's us, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. What does that mean? It means that now, through Christ, we have a direct access and direct line to the Lord. We have direct access to the Lord. We have a relationship with God. We don't have to go through anybody. I don't have to go through anybody. You don't have to go through anybody. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy nation. We are living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice that he had. His own special people. Don't you love that? We are God's own special people. So we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Three key words in this scripture. That you may. 
the Old Testament and the Old, the, the old Covenant, God had a set of rules. God had a set of regulations. God had, had a list of things that we, that we couldn't do as a people. When Moses went up to actually get the, the two tablets from, uh, from, the mount, from the mountain and bring them down with the Ten Commandments on, the Lord made it clear that nobody was to touch the mountain, to go near the mountain, stay away from the mountain. The Lord's message was quite loud and clear. If you come near the mountain, bad things are going to happen. Don't come near the mountain. You cannot come near the mountain. When he talks about the tabernacle, when we talk about the tabernacle, it's basically a big tent. And inside of that tent, where people would go and they would praise, they would worship, inside, right in the middle, was what's called the Holy of Holies. And that Holy of Holies, people were not allowed in. You cannot come in the Holy of Holies. One person was allowed to go in there one day of the year, and that person that went into the Holy of Holies had a rope tied around his waist so that if he died in the presence of God's glory, they could pull him out with the rope and wouldn't have to go in there themselves. You cannot go in the Holy of holies. You can't touch the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark which carries the presence of God. You can't touch it. Even the people who were actually looking and assigned to look after it, who were called to actually look after the Ark of the Covenant. There's a story in the Bible where it was, war, it was, it was running down the tracks and on a cart and the Ark started to fall off. One of the people responsible for the Ark actually reached out to straighten it up and balance and drop dead just by the sheer power of the presence of God. So, in the Old Testament, there were lots of can'ts. The covenant was can'ts. Then we got religious. And a lot of those can'ts we changed into shouldn't do's. You shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. And now in church, more than anywhere else probably, you're told about what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't go hang out with those people. You shouldn't do drugs. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. And then we got saved. And then it moved from shouldn't to ought to. Now that we're saved, we ought to. We ought to attend church every week. We ought to give in the offering and the tithes. We ought to do as the Bible says. We ought to. We ought to. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't get excited about can't, shouldn't, or ought. I can't get excited about those things. What I can get excited about is that you may. That you may. Can we have that scripture back up there, please? That you may. That you may proclaim the praises of him. That you may proclaim the praises of him. We can now go directly to the Father in heaven and we can praise him. We can worship him for his grace, for his mercy and for bringing us from death to life. We can do that now directly. There's no more tabernacle. There's no more holy of holies. There's no more veil. We can go directly to him. That we may. So how exciting is it that because of what God did for us through the sacrifice of his son, we're now able to have personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. Now, do you have to praise him for his grace and for his mercy? No, but you may. Do you have to do the good works that he's got prepared for you? No, but you may. Do you have to give to the church? No. We don't have a pay-before-you-leave policy. The doors aren't locked right now, and we're not going to let you out unless you put a tithe envelope in the box. That's not how it works. You don't have to give to the church, but you may. Do you have to serve in the house? No, you don't. We have a sign-up desk at the back there, volunteers needed. Miss D is going to be there taking signatures from anybody that wants to volunteer for the church. For the record, we have not given Miss D a taser. 
She is not going to tase anybody that walks past the desk without stopping to sign. And then when you've stopped shaking, she's not going to hand you the pen and say, just sign there like we said to in the first place. That's not how it works. You don't have to serve in the house, but you may. Do you have to embrace and accept the life that God has for you? Do you have to live openly and expansively? Do you have to transition from a position of death to a position of life? No, you don't have to, but you may. Can you stand to your feet, please? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, as we close, and just before we dismiss, I just want to pray for everybody, but I want to pray for these two groups that we spoke about, those people who don't know the Lord and those people who do know the Lord. You know, there are a lot of people here who have a relationship with the Lord who do know who he is. You have given your lives to him, but maybe living that small life that we've spoken about today. Maybe you're not living the life expansively. Maybe you're, you know, not doing the works that God had prepared for you. So I'm going to pray for both of you, both of those groups of people right now. And I'm going to ask each and every one of you, just bow your heads if you wouldn't, just close your eyes. Now, if there's anybody in this place that doesn't yet know the Lord, who's never had a relationship with Christ, you've got an opportunity now to actually do that for the first time, just to hand your life over to the Lord and just to take and grab a hold of the life that we spoke about this morning. Just by committing your life to Christ and accepting him as your Lord and Savior, you'll take hold of that life which is available to each and every one of us. So if that's you this morning, if you have never known Jesus Christ, but you want to get to know him now, you want to start that relationship with him, I'm going to ask you just please, just raise your hand for me. Nice and high if you would. Nice and high. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Okay, thank you. Now as we move on to the other people here, the other group of people here, if it's you that, you know, you have a relationship with the Lord, you know who he is. You've had a relationship with him, but you may have either strayed away from the relationship with him or just not necessarily followed through. You're living small. You've let your day-to-day life, living, get in the way of your life. You've let the enemy kill those things inside of you. Just put out that fire that's inside of you right now. If that's you, if you want to rededicate your life to Christ right now, if you want to just commit yourself again to the Lord and just to take and embrace and accept that life that God has for you, just raise your hand for me if you would, nice and high. You want to rededicate your life to the Lord right now. Thank you. You want to rededicate your life. Give your life to him. Anybody else, just raise your hand for me. We're not going to ask you to come down the front. We're just going to pray along with you. Awesome. You can pop your hands down now. Thank you. Okay, let's just all say this prayer. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your grace for your mercy, for dying on the cross, for rising again, and for lifting me to the heavenly bodies. I thank you, Lord, that you are my Savior and the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. I give you my life until the day that I die. You are my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Love you all, guys. Just let me pray for each and every one of you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you so much and we thank you for who it is that you are, God. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for the sacrifice of your Son, Lord God. We thank you for sending down the weight and the glory of you in the form of Jesus Christ and lifting us from death, from the grave, Lord God, and from sin. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the plans that you have for us, Lord God, for the works that you have already prepared for us to do, Lord God. And I pray for each and every person here. I pray that they would come to know you more. They would come closer to you, Lord God. I bind away the enemy from every person's life here, Lord God. I bind away every weapon that's formed against them. I pray that they would not prosper, Lord God. And I pray your peace upon each person here. I pray for excitement. I pray for a new passion and a new fire in every heart in this place, Lord, that they may just do your works, God. Do the works that you have prepared for us. And I thank you, Lord, for every person here. Pray blessings upon them. Pray safety upon them, Lord God. And we love you. And for all things that take place in this place, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Thanks, guys. We love you. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.